We are in the Word of the Lord today. We are studying from the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 25, beginning uh, in verse 1. We'll read Genesis 25, 1, 1 through 18. This, uh, we have been transitioning in the last couple chapters and the last couple sermons away from Abraham and to Isaac as the next uh, patriarch, as the, next, as the child of promise that was promised to Abraham. Um, and today we complete that transition and when we pick up again in verse 19 later on, um, we will uh, be moving on to Isaac and specifically to Jacob and to Esau. But today we say goodbye to Abraham. So hear the word of the Lord beginning in Genesis 25 verse 1. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimron, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan was the father of Sheba and Dedan. The descendants of Dedan were the Asherites, the Letishites, the Leumites. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanak, Abida, and Eldaah. These were the descendants of Keturah. Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac, but while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. Altogether, Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zoar, the Hittite, the field Abraham had bought from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with his wife Sarah. After Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac, who then lived near Be'er Lahai Roi. This is the account of Abraham's son Ishmael, whom Sarah's maidservant Hagar the Egyptian bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, listed in order of their birth. Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, Kedar, Abdil, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tema, Jetur, Nafish, and Kedemah. These were the sons of Ishmael, and these are the names of the twelve tribal rulers according to their settlements and camps. Altogether, Ishmael lived 137 years. He breathed his last and died, and he was gathered to his people. His descendants settled in the area from Havilah to Shur, near the border of Egypt, as you go toward Asher, and they lived in hostility toward all their brothers. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Holy Father, we do ask once again that you illuminate these words, that you shine your glory through these words into our lives, show us how to pursue you. Show us how to pursue the life that we are to live and help us to be faithful as we study. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of years ago, Mom called me up and she said, Ike, I think I'm going to cancel the paper. The Lakeland Ledger had been delivered to the driveway at 6219 Somerset East for well over 40 years. And uh, mom knows no longer reading the newspaper every day. In fact, the newspaper came to our, our house every day because dad would get up in the mornings. He would walk out to the driveway as the coffee was percolating or dripping through the coffee maker. 
he would grab the paper, he would go to the table, he would sit down and he'd open it up with his cup of coffee and as many people do, he would read the paper cover to cover, but he never started with the first page. He always went to section B. Now the Lakeland Ledger is a little bit different than what we're used to as a, as a newspaper here, probably more like the Charleston uh, or the Beckley paper. He would go to section B, he would open up section B to about the second or third page, and what do you think the first thing he looked at was? The obituaries, he was checking to make sure he was still alive, he hadn't passed on yet. Many of us do that, don't we? I swore I would never be like my father, I would never start with the obituaries in the newspaper, and I have done a great job of that because they come to my email inbox. <laughs> what exactly is an obituary? We read them every day, most of us start there, most of us look in there to see if maybe we've missed a friend's illness or a sickness or, even, or, or especially a death of a friend or a loved one. We check to see in the obituaries what's going on, but, but what exactly is an obituary? We've already thought about that. In one sense, it's a, it's a biographical information. It tells us where somebody was born, it tells us where they lived, uh, who they married, who their children and grandchildren and nieces and nephews and and special cousins are. Sometimes it gives us a little bit of insight into who the person was. They, sometimes they list interests and hobbies and passions of the person who has passed on. An obituary is a remembrance. It's a reminder. But at the same time, it tells us something about it. And today we have sandwiched between two uh, genealogies, genealogies of Abraham's other wife, or concubine and the genealogy of Ishmael, we have Abraham's obituary. And so today as we look at Abraham's obituary, the announcement of his death, we will look and see that God is a God who is faithful to his promises and we will learn what type of man God declared Abraham to be. First, I want us to look at that very thing. What kind of man did God declare Abraham to be? As we look at this section here in the middle, we see that Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac, but while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubine and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. Altogether, Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. His sons Isaac and Ishmael bury him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar. What I want us to look at in the life and in the death of Abraham is these phrases, phrases that we have here. Abraham breathed his last and died. He died at a good old age, and he died full of years. A good old age we're going to look at here in a few moments. We'll actually see that that is a, a keeping of God's promise in in Genesis chapter 15, God comes to Abraham and tells him that while the land is yours and you will die at literally a good old age, um, it will be your descendants 400 years later who actually take the land after you leave for a little bit of time. So we, we know that Abraham at 175 years old was a good old man, but he was full of years. What does it mean there that he was full of years? And some of the older... Uh, uh, manuscripts that we have of the, of the Old Testament, the, the phrase of years does not show up there, even though it does show up in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So 
it may be that literally here, God is saying that Abraham died full. What does it mean to die full? Now, this may mean what you think it means. This word can be used for the feeling that you get after you eat a large meal. Abraham might have had a good large meal before he died, and he died with a full belly. But I think it means something more to that, more than that. While it is typically used of someone who has eaten a meal, it can also mean someone who is satisfied, happy, or content. John Calvin describes this as a sense of clear conscience and a serene, tranquil state of mind which comes through a cultivation of righteousness. I believe what God is trying to say here through Moses as he describes Abraham as full or full of years is that Abraham died in a state of good relationship with God. Abraham died in a state of having righteousness that was his we learned in earlier in the book of Genesis earlier in his life in chapter 15 once again a righteousness that came because he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness it is a picture here of Abraham living a life not a perfect life we've talked about that several times throughout the discussion of Abraham he, he lied to eat to the Pharaoh in Egypt he lied to Abimelech in and what is that what is later known as Philistia um, but he lived in a state of righteousness we see this filled out for us a little bit in Psalm 49 and so if you have your scriptures turn to Psalm 49 it comes to us in a section called uh, the Psalms of the sons of Korah and so Psalm 49 says this hear this all you peoples Listen, all who live in this world, both low and high, rich and poor alike. My mouth will speak words of wisdom. The utterance from my heart will give understanding. I will turn my ear to a proverb, and with the harp I will expound my riddle. Why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches? No man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough that he should live on forever and not see decay. For all can see that wise men die, the foolish and the senseless alike perish and leave their wealth to others. Their tombs will remain in their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations, though they had named lands after themselves." But man, despite his riches, does not endure. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. Selah. Like sheep, they are destined for the grave and death will feed on them. The upright will rule over them in the morning. Their forms will decay in the grave, far from their princely mansions. But God will redeem my life from the grave. He will surely take me to himself. Do not be overawed when a man grows rich, when the splendor of his house increases, for he will take nothing with him when he dies. His splendor will not descend with him, though while he lived he counted himself blessed. And men praise you when you prosper. He will join the generations of his fathers who will never see the light of day. A man who has riches without understanding is like the beasts that perish. Many people pursue things of this earth. 
Many people pursue riches and reputation. And the psalmist says here, the lot of every man is the same except for one. He says there, God will redeem my life from the grave. He will surely take me to Himself. What the psalmist is saying here is it's almost as if he's looking back to Abraham and he's saying, yes, there is this realm of the dead that all men go to. It's not as fleshed out in the Old Testament for, as it is for us in the New Testament, but there's realm of death that people go to. And the psalmist says, but I will be redeemed because I am full, full of years. I have found that sense of serenity. God will redeem me from the realm of dead because I find have come to the end of my life full, satisfied, happy, content, and righteous in the sight of God. It is righteousness of God that is given to us through belief that gives us the hope of something more after death. It is the hope that gives us, it is a belief that gives us the hope of the eternal rest that we talked about in Sunday school today. In Genesis 15:6, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him with, as righteousness. And it is that righteousness that is ours through belief and through faith that covers us and helps us to find ourselves full at the end of our lives. Stephen Covey, in his book uh, on um, the first things in life, he said in, in one of the seven habits of highly effective people, the second one says, begin with the end in mind. And it's not begin a task with the, end, with the end of that task in mind. He says literally, begin your life today with the end of your life in mind. And the most effective way to do that, not according to Covey, but according to the Scriptures, the most effective way to do that is to believe in God. To believe God so that it may be credited to us as righteousness. Because the only way to be declared as full, to be declared full as Abraham was, is through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and by having the righteousness that He has purchased for us. Well, whom did Abraham have faith in? He had faith in the faithful and promise-keeping God. This chapter, this, these 18 verses that we looked at today in Genesis are full of promises fulfilled. We don't think about it. We have a tendency to look at these, these lists of names here. Abraham um, taking another wife. The, the, the word translated in the NIV took is probably actually better translated had taken. Um, Keturah was probably somebody that came into Abraham's life before Sarah passed away, much like Hagar was. Remember, Sarah had given Hagar to Abraham uh, her, as a concubine to produce a son. Uh, more than likely that had happened with Keturah as well, even though we weren't told about her until now. Um, also think about Abraham. He's 175 when he dies. He's 137, or he's 137 when Sarah dies. At, a, at the age of 100, God had to work a miracle in his body to produce Isaac. Um, if at the age of 100 God had to produce a miracle to produce Isaac, He would have had to produce an even bigger miracle at the age of 137 to produce another, what, handful of sons there. Um, and so we look at this. Most commentators see this as Keturah coming earlier in his life. But these genealogies that we have of Abraham and Keturah, this genealogy that we have of Ishmael, 
is a sign of God's promises fulfilled to Abraham. In Genesis 12.3, God promises that all nations will be blessed in Abraham. Abraham blesses these nations that come through Keturah. Some of these names are national and city names um, in the ancient Near East, but he gives gifts to them. In Genesis 15.4, God promises that a son of Abraham will inherit all that Abraham has. We see this fulfilled today in chapter 25.5, where Moses states that Isaac inherited everything of Abraham. We've already discussed that in Genesis 15, 15, God promises Abraham that he will live to a, quote, good old age. And we have the exact language show up for us in Genesis 25, 8. In Genesis 16, 12, God promises Hagar that Ishmael will live in a hostility toward his brothers. And in verse 18, we see that, that he does just that. Not only him, but his descendants as well, as well live in hostility toward all their brothers. Genesis 17:6, God promises to make Abraham fruitful and that nations and kings would come from him. In Genesis 17:20, Abraham was told by God that Ishmael would father 12 tribal leaders. We have the names of those 12 tribal leaders listed for us in verses 13 through 18. Why would Moses focus so much in the death of Abraham on the promises that were fulfilled in Abraham? We answer that question by remembering who Moses was writing to. He was writing to the Exodus generation. He was writing to that generation that God had promised to Abraham would come 400 years later, would leave slavery in Egypt and would head to the promised land. And here we have a, a stark reminder of all the promises that God had made to Abraham that were kept promises that God during the life of Abraham was faithful to. And Moses is saying to the Israelites, he is saying, look at everything that God did for Moses 400 years ago. There's a handful of promises left that God will fulfill in you. You are the generation that was promised to Abraham that would come 400 years later and take possession of the promised land. Moses is reminding the Israelites, God is a God who keeps his promises. And in 1 Corinthians 10 that we read earlier, Paul lists a number of things that the Exodus generation experienced. And he says, these were written down for you. For the Corinthians 2,000 years ago, probably 1,400 years after the Exodus. And they're written down for us as well. We live life with the promises that we have in the scriptures, all of the scriptures. And we're given this snippet of Abraham's obituary along with the genealogies to be reminded that when God says, I will never leave you or forsake you, God is a promise keeping God. When God says, believe in your heart and profess with your mouth that Jesus Christ raised from the dead and you shall be saved, God is a promise keeping God. And when God says at the end of Romans chapter 8 that nothing will separate us from the love of God that is ours, that is in Christ Jesus, God is a promise-keeping God. When we suffer the uncertainties of living in this world and journeying from our conversion to the new heavens and the new earth, we are tempted to turn to our own strength and sometimes idols to see us through. 
But God has promised that he will see us through and he gives us this account of Abraham's death to remind us that he will see us through. Abraham died full because he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. God is a faithful and promise-keeping God. John Calvin says this about the passage that we have looked at today. He said, Abraham deserves the praise of wonderful and incomparable patience for having wandered through the space of a hundred years. While God led him about in various directions, contented both in life and in death with the bare promise of God. It declares in today's passage that Abraham died when he was 175 years old. We were to go back and look at Genesis chapter 12. It declares to us that he was 75 years old when he left Haran, when he left the household of his father to journey to the promised land. He journeyed to a land that God had declared it belongs to you, but you will not possess it. Your descendants will. And he wandered in that land homeless. He wandered in that land dwelling in tents. He wandered in that land trusting in the promises of God for a hundred years. Can you imagine waiting on God for a hundred years? John Calvin goes on to say this. He said, let those be ashamed who find it difficult to bear the disquietude of one or a few years since Abraham, the father of the faithful, was not merely a stranger during a hundred years, but was also often cast forth in exile. While I was in seminary, the pastor who really kind of helped me see my way to seminary, who didn't help me see my way to seminary so much as shoot down every single excuse I had built up over about 11 years as to why I should not be a pastor and why I should not go to seminary. During my senior year, he said, you need to start looking for a call over winter break during your senior year so that you can have something lined up as soon as you graduate and you can hit the ground running. So Michelle and I, without really, at least on my part, without really praying a whole lot about it, we sat down, we figured out where we wanted to minister, we figured out the type of church we wanted to minister in, and we, we kind of set a center, geographic center of where we wanted to be, and we started working our way out in churches and just mailing gobs and gobs of stuff out to churches, um, this being one of those churches actually. Out of all that, mailing out probably 30 information packets to 30 or so different churches, I ended up with two phone interviews, one face-to-face -face interview, and graduated still working part-time at a bookstore, at the seminary bookstore. As soon as I graduated, all the phone calls seemed to, to dry up. And in August, after I graduated in May, I found myself in a pit of despair, a pit of despondency, because I thought I was all that. I thought, why do these churches not want someone as valuable as me? I had forgotten God. I had forgotten the lesson here that Abraham wandered for a hundred years with promises unfulfilled. Many, many promises fulfilled. But he wandered knowing that he possessed the land, but not being able to take possession of it. 
And John Calvin, let me read it again. Let those be ashamed who find it difficult to bear the disquietude of one or a few years. Since Abraham, the father of the faithful, was not merely a stranger during a hundred years, but was often cast forth in exile. Brothers and sisters, how do you wait? How well do you wait for God? How many of us, myself included, have a tendency to go to bed at night and pray for healing of somebody, a loved one, or the resolution of a conflict, or just direction from God in what I'm supposed to do next in my life. We go to bed at night, we pray for that, and we get mad at God when we wake up the next morning and the prayer has not been answered. And we get madder and fall deeper and deeper into despair at noon, at two, at six, and then when we go to bed again the next day. A hundred years. One hundred years. Let that sink in, folks. But he died content. He died satisfied. He died resting in God. And as the book of Hebrews tells us, he died waiting for a city whose foundations are built in God. The new heavens and the new earth. The author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11 is very explicit. Right in the middle of his account of the life of Abraham and the faithfulness of Abraham, he breaks and he says, and these people died with the promises unfulfilled, with the prayers unanswered. If Abraham can wait for a hundred years, we can wait for one or two or ten, can we not? We need to learn as we pray to God and as we wait on Him, we need to learn, number one, that He is a promise-keeping God. And in being a promise-keeping God, He is a prayer-answering God. But what we also need to learn is that He answers in His timing and He is good. And we can believe Him and have it credited to us for righteousness. And we can be full today. Not just when we reach the end. But we can live with that sense of serenity and rest and contentment in God. That Paul says comes because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Let us pray. Our God and Father... Help us to wait on you. Help us to wait well. Help us to wait contentedly. Help us to wait with a sense of serenity, knowing that you are a promise-keeping God who answers the prayers of his people. And for those of us who have been waiting a long time for you, help us to rest in you as our good God. And help us to rest full of the knowledge that we are your people. We are the sheep of your pasture. And you are our good shepherd. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.